you so much. Um, it's good to see everybody. You're very, very welcome, as already Henry has said. I hope that um, tonight we'll hear God speaking to us. And so for that in mind, we're just going to pray together. So let's just pray. Ask God just to bless our time together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you as people who are needy. You know our situations. You know every individual who's here. Lord, we have come to listen to your word. I pray you'd help me to relate it carefully and, and clearly. But I pray for each one of us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that you speak into our minds and hearts. Lord, whatever our need is tonight, you can meet that if you have willing hearts. And so, Father, we just pray that each one of us will just say, yes, Lord, I want to hear from you tonight because I want to hear what you want to say into my life, into my situation. I need your blessing. I need your guidance. I want to know a lot more of your presence. So, Lord, be with us and bless each one of us tonight. And may, in fact, we be surprised at the fact that you speak to us and you come to us tonight. So we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> years and years ago, when I was, and it is years and years ago, unfortunately, when I was a teenager, um, my sisters used to call me occasionally Al. Now you wonder where on earth did that name come from? And the reason that they called me Al occasionally, they didn't do it very frequently. It's not a name I really want to hold on to, so don't please don't continue to do this. Uh, but the reason why they, they called me Al was because when somebody asked for somebody to do something, I would say, yes, I'll do that. And if somebody else asked me, I'd say, I'll do that. And so I was continually saying this phrase, I'll do that. And so they called me Al. The problem about it was that, in fact, um, sometimes when Al said he would do something, he didn't really have the time to do it. Actually, more than often, he didn't have the ability to do it, the thing that he promised. Maybe Al forgot to do it or he lost interest in doing the thing that Al said he would do. Mostly it didn't really matter that much, but there were times when, in fact, Al did let people down because he had promised to do something and he let them down. Sometimes he lost trust because he hadn't fulfilled what he said he was going to do. And at times he was maybe seen as somebody who wasn't very faithful. So Al wasn't spectacular now, in these verses in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, a promise is made to present us as blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ. This is the promise that God makes to us, that we'll be presented as promise, as blameless. It actually been discovered over a period of time, the number of the tombstones discovered by archaeologists in the city of Thessalonica have in fact this phrase on it, blameless at his coming. So these Christians were obviously impacted by the truth that if we've trusted Jesus Christ as our saviour, then we will be changed in life. And the word that's used in the Bible and these, these verses, the word sanctified, to become more like Jesus Christ. And finally, they would be presented as blameless. And so obviously there is coming a day for all of us that either by death or by the return of Jesus Christ when we will experience that be presented to our Heavenly Father as blameless if we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Saviour. We are currently being sanctified. We are currently being moulded 
and transformed to become more like Jesus Christ. We only see this transformation as partially in our lives, but one day it will come to completion. First John chapter 3 and verse 2 says, We will see Jesus and we will be like him. At the present, we are under construction and God has not finished with any one of us yet. Paul is saying to you Christians, be assured that in the power of his spirit, he is transforming you and will, because of Jesus, someday present you blameless before his heavenly Father. So Paul wants us to live in the light of this, this truth so that if you or I were to die now, you and I would be confident of the fact that we would be stamped and marked blameless in the presence of our Heavenly Father. Paul says this in Philippines as well, I'm confident, he says, that he, he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. As I say this with all the fervor of my heart, both to you especially to myself that one day in the process that God has begun we will be brought to completion as we stand blameless before our God our creator in eternity now I know that may sound a very serious and dramatic and deep thought you may be probably saying you have a degree of uncertainty you may be asking the question how will that ever be is this possible? Is this possible for me? Does God really know who he's dealing with, with me? I can understand it about others, but me? How can it be possibly be that we would be, as it says in verse 23, kept blameless on the day when we stand before God? The answer we see in verse 24. The one who calls us, he is faithful and he will do it. Another version says, he that calls you is utterly faithful and he will finish what he has set out to do. God is not the author of unfinished business. He never begins within the life of a believer a project which he then abandons. Now this encouragement and reassurance and deep promise of God is seen throughout all of scripture but seen especially in Romans chapter 8. What about the faithless? What about, what about this faithless, faithlessness of God? The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. How can we understand this faithfulness? How can we be sure of this faithfulness? Or is it like Al, a bit of hit or miss, not really reliable? Well, if we turn to chapter 8 in Romans 8, we will see chapter 8 starts in verse 1, which says there's no condemnation. And the chapter finishes in verse 39, saying there is no separation. The underlying theme of this chapter is that God is faithful and will do what he has promised to do for us in Jesus Christ. And he will definitely complete what he has begun. There is surely none of us that don't need to hear this. 
to be convinced of this great promise. In the early chapters of Romans, we are confronted with the fact that we are lost and helpless. But later we see God's grace, that we have a saviour in Jesus Christ who will present us to his Father with his righteousness. We will present it blameless because of Jesus Christ. This is his promise to you and to me who are believers. But what actually helps us to think this through? It's not our emotions, which are always up and down, but in fact it is God's truth. So let us think about this for a few minutes. And there are four truths, four facts that we want to look at. That God has started in our lives and he will finish what he has started. Even when we feel lost, we feel that circumstances have been hard to bear. We've maybe lost a loved one who we miss dearly. We haven't achieved the goals that we dream of. We struggle to find the worth. We feel a bit lost, a bit helpless. Or maybe our health is not what we wished for. Our emotions are real, but we need godly hope and faithfulness to help us. Can we trust our God to be faithful to us? Let's see verse 31 in chapter 8. It starts off, What then can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There, dear friends, is one of the most important statements in the whole of the Bible. God is for us. This is true of you tonight if you have trusted Jesus Christ. God is for us. No matter what you may have had to face or you are facing, this truth is so important to grasp. God is for us. God is for us. He has promised to protect us and bring us through all the challenges of this life and all the fiery darts of Satan and bring us finally to eternity and pronounce us as blameless. God is for us. Tonight we may, feel, may, we may face opposition and challenges. We know what it is to, to feel and face temptation and defeat. Some of us may be bruised by fear and deep disappointment. So what are we to say to this? What are we going to do in the light of this? Yes, I know all the challenges are true and they're real. But I also know this, that not only is God for us, but more importantly, God is for me. God is for me. That is your message to you tonight. God is for me. If, I've, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then God is for me. That's the first truth. The second truth we see in verse 32. We see something more precious about the faithfulness of God. And let us read this together. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God give up his son to the cross for you and for me, then how can he even imagine 
or think about giving us up. He went to the length of the cross for his son for our sins. Then there's no reason, there's no right for us to think that he will not give up everything for us. Take confidence that the cross is the evidence of God's commitment to you as believers. We are called to think of God's faithfulness in the light of his Son and of the cross. In no way will he turn his back upon us. He is faithful right to the end, and he will do it. Third truth is in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. What does this actually mean? I'm not actually quite sure that I understand this fully, but I think at least it is a measure of this meaning. God has decided to justify us, to make us right in his sight. He has saved us. And no one but no one can alter that decision. God made that decision when he knew everything about us. He decided to save us. So God knows us and there is no one and no thing that can be brought to God that will change his mind and his heart. You might say, or someone else might say, well, God, if God knew this about me, then he surely would change his mind. The truth of the matter is this. He already knows. If you knew what God knows about me, you would not be here tonight. There is not a hidden thing that has been hidden from him. There's nothing that can be taken out of the woods and brought before him that he does not already know. So no one can accuse you and say, I think if God knew that, this would be different. God already knows all about us. God does not, but even the fact that he does know this, he is willing to save us. So no one can accuse you of anything that God does not already know about. So we can say, God is for me. God knows the worst things about me when I trusted Jesus Christ as a saviour. The verdict, the verdict that came at that time is final. It will never be changed because our God is wonderfully faithful. In finishing, we have seen, considered that God's faithfulness is based on the fact that God is for us. We see that as well his faithfulness is based on the light that he gave his own son to the cross so that we will not give up, that he will not give up on us. And thirdly, his faithfulness is based on the fact that in the light of accusations of people and of Satan, God already knows everything about us and has been willing to forgive us. And finally, we consider the faithfulness expressed in his love. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The chapter started with no condemnation and it finishes with no separation. With tribulation, with distress, with persecution, with famine or nakedness or danger or sword. For a diagnosis that doesn't sit with you easily, would it separate you from the love of God? I don't know whether you did this, probably didn't, when you were a child or a teenager. You got a dandelion or daisy and you pulled off the top of the dandelion or you blew into the dandelion and you took off the daisy and you said, she loves me, she loves me not, she loves me. And so you went around, it always finished that she loves me not for me. Um, I kept trying, but that's always the way it landed up. Guys, I want to say to you, and I say this to myself tonight as well, if your experience as a Christian is God loves me, God loves me not. God loves me, God loves me not. Then quit it. You don't need to walk around like that. You don't need to live like that. Rest in the faithful provisions of God. He is the one who keeps us. He is the one who keeps us going. Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus Christ, who was up and down all the time, wrote this. You who are, who are through faith are shielded, protected and kept by God's power until the coming of salvation that is to be revealed at the last time. Peter recognized that he was protected and shielded by God. The power of God keeps us believing and the power of God keeps me safe through believing. In verse 37, we see nothing, including death, nor angels, nor demons, nor rulers, whether big or small, will be able to separate you or me from our faithful God if we're in Christ Jesus. Remember that verse in Thessalonians. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So what is our assurance, our confidence? Is it in our religious performance? We attend everything that is going. We feel that that is our confidence. It's not. Is it in our emotional experiences that we've had in the past or even in the future? No, it's not. Is it in our deep theological understanding of God's word? No, it's not. Is it in our image of having it all sorted out to other people? No, it's not. No, our assurance is the faithfulness of having a heavenly father who can be trusted. If you take nothing from tonight, take this with you. This phrase from verse 31 of chapter 8 of Romans. I encourage you when you get home tonight to read it sometime over this weekend. Bring it to your recollection. 
each morning that God is for me. Say this to yourself. Maybe say it to your friends, your Christians. Even before the night is out, say to your friends, you know something? God is for us. Who can be against us? You're going to sleep tonight. You say, Father, I thank you that you are for me. Then we will surely respond by saying, Father, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days and let them flow in ceaseless praise. Remember, God is for me. God is for us. For those who belong to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.